the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome, folks, once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando, and we're so glad you're with us. So is Pete Paquette. He's our engineer here today, and Andrew Herdliska produces the show. I want to introduce you to Debbie Turner-Bell. She's in Grand Rapids, Michigan, founder and CEO of Debbie Turner-Bell Consulting. Her book is out, Courageous Faith, A Lifelong Pursuit of Faith Over Fear. Oh, and incidentally, in 1990. she won the Miss America contest. So, Debbie, uh, welcome to Orlando. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Courageous faith, a lifelong pursuit of faith over fear. What's the background here, Debbie? Oh, my goodness. Um, the background is I am uh, an example of um triumphing against the odds because of God's grace and favor and because of a mother who taught me that through faith and through obedience to God that there were no limits to my life. And I open the book uh, and talk about the lowest point of competing in the Miss America system. When I thought I was going to win, I was convinced. Everybody around me was convinced I was going to win the Miss Arkansas pageant because that's where I grew up, and I didn't. And so the book, the book opens with me in a fetal position, crying harder than I'd ever cried uh, at that point in my life because I just didn't understand the outcome. And um, while I was crying, I just, that's really all I said to God was, I don't understand. I don't understand. I wouldn't have done this if you told me not to. And I did it because I believed uh, that it was his will for my life, and that was to compete in the Miss Arkansas pageant and go on to Miss America. And it didn't, it didn't happen. And while I was laying there in tears, I heard the voice of the Lord speak to my heart and say, Debbie, I'm faithful. Mm. Now get up. And I had a choice to make in that moment, laying there in a puddle of tears and makeup and hairspray. Either I was going to trust God and trust His ability to work in my life, or I was going to let these circumstances and the fear of future failure keep me in that puddle on the floor. Uh, and my history with the Lord was such that I trusted Him. And so I got up, and I didn't know what 
I was going to do next. I didn't know what was going to happen next, but I believed that God was faithful. And so I was going to take that first step and let Him create the ground under me, even when I couldn't see where I was stepping. And so that's where uh, the title comes from. It's those, those points where we don't know what's going to happen, and we have every reason to believe that nothing good is going to happen. But when we stand in faith on the promises of God, I call that courageous faith. You know, it's easy to have faith in God when things are going great. But when things are at their lowest, um, are we willing to take the step of obedience, to extend ourselves beyond what our real reach is? That's courageous faith. So, Debbie, the first two chapters, and I think you've, I think you've hit the high points for us. Uh, chapter one is failure. Chapter two is faith. So let's get right mm-hmm. to the third topic that you write about. It's simply called determination. Uh, tell us more. Yes, indeed. Uh, first of all, um, there is no race that's won by quitting. Any race that, that has a chance of being won, we must finish the race. We must be determined. Uh, and so determination is this resolve to see Uh, whether it's a project, an education, a walk with the Lord, to see it through to its end and be determined to give what it takes in order to finish. You know, Paul says that we must run the race in a manner in which to win. And so determination comes in those everyday, um, um, non-glamorous activities of practicing, praying, doing those, um, um, those daily routines, you know, it, to use a sports analogy, you know, it's doing those fundamentals, uh, shooting those uh, free throws and working on footwork, the, the stuff that really from day to day is no fun. But it, that's what it takes in order to, to have the, you know, the winning shot at the buzzer. Uh, and so determination is um, that grit to do the everyday, dull, uh, fundamental preparation so that when the time of, of success or the time of victory or the time of vindication even comes, we're prepared. Uh, and so as I competed in pageants, for me, and even, you know, going through veterinary school and getting my doctor of veterinary medicine degree, you know, it was putting in the work. It was practicing the marimba three hours a day. It was reading every news periodical and newspaper I could get my hands on. It was practicing my walking and turning. In veterinary school, of course, it's studying the, you know, the chemistry and the physics and the things that I didn't want to do in order to prepare me to get to uh, the things that I did want to do. That's determination. Debbie Turner Bell is with us. <clears throat> She's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, Debbie, uh, before we move on to topic four, <clears throat> tell me about the Debbie Turner Bell Consulting uh, Organization in Grand Rapids. What uh, What's the nature of your work? Well, thank you so much for asking. Yes, well, many years ago, I've been doing motivational speaking for 30-some-odd years since I was Miss America. But over the years, I had the opportunity to do some workshop facilitation uh, and then eventually some leadership development consulting and training. So uh, with Debbie Turner Bell Consulting, I do leadership development training um, to uh, leaders or emerging leaders uh, 
corporate leaders and, and uh, business executives, teaching them fundamentals of communication, fundamentals of how to uh, develop an, a powerful message and deliver it in a way that it can be received. I also do some consulting in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, helping organizations put together a DEI strategy uh, and do some training in un- unconscious bias training. And uh, also, I shouldn't say finally, but also, I feel strongly about the the power and the potential of women. I think um, God has a special um, gifts and calling and purpose for everybody. Um, but you know, in this patriarchal society, it's important to encourage women. So I do training and consulting also in women's leadership. So Deb, that's it, Pat, in a coconut shell. <laughs> Deb, uh, you, uh, <clears throat> we've covered <clears throat> failure, <clears throat> faith, determination. Uh, topic four is simply called excellence. Uh, tell yeah. us, tell us more. You know, excellence seems to be self-explanatory. Uh, however, many of us approach excellence as a destination and not the journey. And excellence really is about a lifestyle. It is not about getting to a point and say, hey, I'm here, I'm excellent. Excellence is about giving our best, applying our best, doing our best day after day after day. It's the journey. It's the consistency. I have a 12-year-old daughter, and, you know, she's in that tween age and thinks she knows everything, thinks mommy knows nothing. Um, But, you know, I'll tell her she needs to, you know, practice basketball because she loves basketball. You know, get out there and and shoot some balls and work on your footwork. And she's good at what she does. She goes, well, mommy, I'm already good. And I said, but excellence is about Investing your last best. It's about always building on your best effort. So it is a slow um, and methodical progression toward better and, and never being satisfied with your last best thing, but always applying yourself to beat your own personal record. Now, Debbie, uh, topic five, you call it authenticity. Uh, Explain that one to us. I just believe that we are created by a um, majestic, um, awesome God who placed in each of us specific um, abilities and specific temperament and specific personality that in order to really achieve our true purpose in life, we need to be the true person we were created to be. And so e- it's so often it's easy to try to fit into a mold. I'm dealing that with that again with my 12-year-old, trying to encourage her to, we were not created to be in herds. We were created individually. And the, probably the scariest thing any of us can do is to be authentically ourselves because that makes us vulnerable. Um, in, in, in the worship space, as a pastor, I can say, you know, God will only be in relationship with us in our authenticity. You know, it says uh, God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We have to really be who we are. And so in order to achieve the ultimate success in life, which I define uh, by uh, being who God created us to be, doing what he created us to do, and influencing the people he created us us to influence, we can only truly, 
truly be that when we are our authentic self without masks, with, um, without um, um, putting on airs, without hiding behind um, crutches, but really being who we were created to be and being that unabashedly and unashamed. Now, uh, let's move to topic six. Debbie Turner Bell is our guest. Her book, Courageous Faith, and uh, topic six is called Courage. Yes, um, which goes back to the title. And, you know, courage is exactly what it sounds like. However, uh, some people think those who are courageous don't experience fear, and that's simply not true. Courage is acting in the presence of fear or in spite of fear. I saw one bumper sticker that I really loved, and uh, it was, Courage is fear prayed for. Uh, And so we must live courageously. Yes, there are things that will be daunting. Yes, there are things that will be uh, fearful. Yes, there are things that might frighten or even terrorize us. But that's where faith comes in. When we apply our faith, faith and take that step anyway, while we're afraid, not waiting on the fear to leave, but do it afraid by the help of God. That is what courage is, and that's what's necessary to really get us to who God wants us to be and doing what he wants us to do. Uh, Debbie Turner-Bell is with us. We're talking about her book, Courageous Faith, A Lifelong Pursuit of Faith Over Fear. Uh, Debbie, we've arrived at uh, topic number seven. You call it purpose. Uh, Tell us about that. Yes, we were all created for a a divine purpose. You know, uh, I'm a a pastor and a preacher, so I can't help but take a a text and quote a scripture. Uh, But there's a a scripture that where God says, "I know the plans that I have for you, plans uh, not to harm you, but to prosper you, Uh, plans." to give you a hope in a future. We were all created with a great purpose in mind. Everything on God's creation has purpose, whether it's the trees, the stars, the moon, the ocean, even the mosquitoes, the roaches, and the worms. Everything has purpose, and how much more do we, uh, corporately as human beings, but individually, have purpose? And so there's reasons for our skills, reasons for our aptitudes, reasons for our personality quirks. And I believe the greatest pursuit that we can embark upon is to discover our purposes in life, because we do have multiple purposes. Um, Some people get kind of caught up on trying to find the purpose. Um, but I believe a life well lived, we will travel through a number of purposes during different seasons of our life. You know, when I was competing in pageants in my teens and in my 20s, um, there was a purpose there in that season. Well, now I'm, you know, in my 50s, and that season, um, although it reverberates through the rest of my life, that season has come to an end, and I've had other seasons where um, God's purpose was specific to that season. And so our greatest pursuit is, okay, God, what is my purpose in this season? Because when we find that, that's when we find the greatest satisfaction and the greatest fulfillment in life. Folks, my guest is Debbie Turner-Bell. We're talking about her book, Courageous Faith, uh, Lifelong Pursuit of Faith Over Fear. We have another segment with Debbie, so I want you to stay with us. 
Um, and speaking of her book, uh, my latest book is out. It's called Every Day is Game Day. It's a 365-day mm-hmm. uh, devotional book. Every, every day has a sports story, sports anecdote, and then it leads into the devotional part. So when you go to Amazon uh, to order Debbie's book, Courageous Faith, uh, go ahead and pick up a copy of Every Day is Game Day. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, and you're tuned into AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, we'll be right back with Debbie Turner Bell. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Debbie Turner Bell is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We're talking about her book, Courageous Faith, A Lifelong Pursuit of Faith Over Fear. Uh, We're at topic number eight, Debbie. It's called Patience. Tell us more. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, Life requires patience. Uh, in, in relationships, in achieving goals, even in waiting on the Lord. We must learn how to be patient uh, and let time do its work. Again, another scripture that I love, um, uh, Isaiah thirty fifteen. you know, it says, in quietness and confidence is my strength. You know, when I, when I wait patiently is my salvation. Um, and most things that are worth having having require, yes, faith, yes, work, yes, excellence, but also patience, because most things happen over a period of time. And I've seen so often, particularly with younger folks, and not necessarily just younger folks, but impatient folks, they have missed out on um, some really great victories because of impatience. They didn't want to wait long enough. They didn't want to put the work the work in um, long enough. And I'm I'm sure you've seen that even in uh, in your experiences in in sports. We we have to patiently prepare, you know, patiently pursue, uh, and patiently persevere, which we're going to get to, uh, in order to to see our goals uh, and our purpose fulfilled. Um, and you don't have to be good uh, at waiting in order to be patient. You just have to be willing. I'm not really good at waiting. Um, or, or let me put it like this. I don't like waiting, but I've learned how to do it and do it in faith, knowing that if I am patient, then God will do the work. He will bring forth the victory in me and through me. Debbie, uh, explain to us uh, topic nine. You call it overcoming. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, overcoming is is being able to rise above. I, I like to just break the word uh, right over instead of under, coming instead of going or staying. So it's rising above difficult this uh, uh, difficult situations. It's even rising above our own insecurities uh, and our own fears and, and frailties, uh, and um, trusting God to uh, sustain us through those insecurities and and uh, trusting. God to um, bring out of us what he has deposited in us. So there's the over, the rising above, and then the coming from overcoming. Uh, And and that is um, allowing um, 
the Lord, and I, I talk about God a lot because that's my experience. I can't talk about any other power uh, other than the, the faithfulness and power of God in my life. Um, and that is a- allowing um, the power of God to work in me what is needed and to work out of me um, what is not needed. So overcoming is rising above insecurities, rising above uh, fear, rising above difficulties and not letting um, those roadblocks be dead ends. Instead, interpret them as detours. So, okay, this path didn't work. Well, let's find another path. Okay, this person didn't give me the job. Let me interview somewhere else. Okay, I didn't get into this school. Well, let me apply to five others. And better said, let me learn what else I need to do, how else I need to grow, uh, how else I need to improve in order to overcome the obstacles that um, are in my life. And now, Debbie, we arrive at uh, topic number 10, perseverance. What are you writing here? Um, Perseverance is that that dogged um, determination to not give up. And I remember I was, as I was writing, a, a very dear uh, friend of mine, I call her a sister friend and prayer, prayer partner, um, I would read certain chapters or send her a certain segments of the book to get her input. And I remember her asking me, so what's the difference between determination and perseverance? Uh, perseverance is the ability to keep going no matter what until the end. Determination is um, that resolve to put in the work, but you can be determined and not persevere. Uh, if you're running a 100-yard dash, you can be determined for 90 of those yards or meters in 21st century uh, standards and then fizzle out and not make it across uh, the 100-meter point. So perseverance is going all the way across the finish line, not stopping, not giving in, not giving up until completion. Um, and I believe that we... If lived well, if living our life the way we're supposed to, um, we live with a new resolve to persevere every day. Again, just like excellence, perseverance is not a destination. It's the journey. It's the lifestyle of um, living in a way that I won't give up. I won't stop praying till I hear from God. I won't stop working until I master that, um, that craft or that that class or whatever it is that I won't stop until it's finished. That's perseverance. Debbie Turner Bell is our guest, uh, the book Courageous Faith. Uh, Debbie, what do you want people to take from our discussion about this book? I'm hopeful. And the reason that I wrote the book, it's a lot of my own life story. It is not an autobiography, but I, I pull uh, stories and experiences that exemplify these 10 motivational principles that we just uh, just discussed in hopes that people will read my story and read these principles and be inspired in their own life. Um, as I spoke to young people for many years, I, I would say I'm the least likely person to have won the Miss America pageant. I wasn't crazy tall. I wasn't blonde. I wasn't blue high. I talked about Jesus too much. I didn't sing or dance or twirl a fire baton. I played the marimba. Um, but because of God's grace and favor, because I didn't give up, it, it happened. And I believe that that 
is possible for everyone, not for everybody to be in America, but for them to reach the God-given divine goals and purposes in their lives. So I'm hoping that people are inspired and motivated, and those maybe who are tired or discouraged will um, get a little courage and a little motivation to get up, dust themselves off, and try again. Debbie, we've got two and a half minutes, and I, I want to catch up here on a few things. Uh, explain to okay. me, growing up in Arkansas, then winning that pageant, what did that mean to you? And how did you end up in Grand Rapids, Michigan? And, <laughs> and, and what did you do for the 30 years between Miss America and where you are now? Okay, Pat, you want me to do that in two and a half minutes? We got look, uh, now, right. now we're down to two minutes. So far, okay. go ahead. Uh, all right, very quickly. So my, my father grew up in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Uh, he was in the military. We lived six places the first five years of my life because of his military assignment. Mm. But we ended up back in Jonesboro, Arkansas, where he became the first African-American to be on faculty at Arkansas State University, because Jonesboro is a college town. So that's how I ended up there. And then my mother and father separated and divorced uh, while we were there. And I remained there with my mom and sister and grew up in, and in fact, went to Arkansas State University myself to complete my prerequisites for veterinary school. Uh, and so left Jonesboro and went on to Missouri to veterinary school, to the University of Missouri, Missouri. Um, But it was a small town. It was one of those places where everybody knew everybody, or if you didn't know them, you knew the family that they came from. People didn't lock their doors, and, you know, there was nothing private. Everybody talked about everybody's business, and it was a great way uh, to grow up, and I'm, I'm appreciative for that. But finished veterinary school in Missouri. To make the long story short, I um, ended up in television doing pet segments for CBS News. I lived in New York for many years. While there, I married my husband. He worked for a foundation uh, that is supported by the DeVos family, of course, headquartered here in Grand Rapids. Yes. So when we got married, he was here in Grand Rapids, but I drug him to New York because at that time I was uh, at CBS News at the network uh, working. And so he came to me and remote worked remotely way before that was a thing. And then nine years in, his career hit a point where he needed to be back here at the home offices, if you will. By that time, I was no longer at CBS, wasn't on television. And so we moved back here, um, or I moved here, and he moved back uh, five years ago with with our daughter. So that's how I end up in in Grand Rapids. But I'll say this very quickly if I have time. I didn't understand when God was leading us from New York City to Grand Rapids, Michigan. I didn't understand that move. It seemed like a step back to me. I came from, you know, small towns. Uh, America, and, and I expected to stay in big cities. But so many things have happened being here, including the publication of my book by the publisher, Our Daily Bread, which is headquartered here. If we hadn't moved to Grand Rapids five years ago, Pat, you and I wouldn't be talking, and I wouldn't have a book on the market. And so sometimes God will move us to unlikely places, um, but it's to put us in position. Uh, to do what he's purposed and ordained for us. So I'm so grateful for it now. Debbie Turner-Bell has been our guest. We got more. Uh, Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Yes, that's the hour. And it's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. 
You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Debbie Turner-Bell, our guest in that first segment, Miss America 1990, an author of Courageous Faith, A Lifelong Pursuit of Faith Over Fear. Uh, Stephen Scott joins us. He's in California as we speak, co-founder of the American Telecast Corporation, Total Gym Fitness in Numai. But we're going to talk about his book, The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living. Stephen, welcome uh, back to Orlando. I hope you're doing well. Hey, I'm doing great, Pat. Thank you, brother. Uh, You open your book, and we'll get into the meat of it, but the introduction is called You Don't Have to Keep Hurting. Uh, Explain that, Stephen. Well, you know, Jesus in uh, John chapter 5 approaches a man who has been in pain and uh, debilitated for 38 years. And he asks him, do you want to be made well? And the man replied, he started telling all the reasons why he can't be made well. Uh, Nobody can get him down to the pool fast enough and so on. And uh, Jesus didn't ask him, what's keeping you from being made well? He said, do you want to be made well? And if a person wants to stop hurting, uh, Christ gives us some very simple steps. And we see it in Joseph. The Joseph Principles is really about, it, it has Joseph's life as a b- backdrop. And we see 12 principles that Joseph had, or 12 attributes that we don't have by nature. And they are unbelievably powerful and wonderful. Um, but Joseph never taught us how to bring those into our life, but Jesus did. And most people, you know, I came out of COVID. I had COVID. I was hospitalized. And most people I know suffered loss during that period. It could have been the loss of a loved one, the loss of their health, the loss of their memory. They have long-term effects. It could be that uh, their business was closed. And so we've seen level of hurts today that we haven't seen in this country for a long time, but Hurt's always been with us from the first century and before. And Christ gives us specific answers. And the problem is most believers, they know the Bible, they're good Bible students, but they don't know what Jesus said. They're shocked when I said he made over 1,900 statements. And his statements uh, that I have focused on really for the last 16 years Give us the answer to virtually anything, and including how we can stop hurting. So we don't have to hurt when we know what Jesus said, and by faith and powered by grace, begin to do what he said. Now, let's dive into the meat of your book, Stephen. Uh, Chapter one is called Finding Hidden Treasures Where You'd Least Expect Them. Uh, What does that mean? Well, um, I used to have a little bit of an unofficial counseling ministry with my best friend, Gary Smalley. And Gary and I were best friends for more than 43 years and to do an awful lot together. I don't know if a, a week ever passed that we didn't talk to each other. And Gary taught me this example, uh, but how to revisit the most traumatic things that have happened to you in your life. And most people, when we go through a trauma, whether it's a childhood trauma or an adult trauma, uh, it becomes a roadblock for our intimacy with God. 
And we can still be a Bible student, we can go to church, but we can't have that intimate fellowship with Him because we have never been able to um, enjoy or experience true gratefulness for our, our adversity. And who wants to? I mean, I, I lost nine jobs in my years after college. That was a tough thing for me. I had a lot of other things happen along the way. But um, uh, what this is, is Gary postulated, and I have found it to be true, and so did Gary, that when you have a trauma and you're a believer, uh, you're a believer now, you may not have been a believer when you had the trauma, you can sift through the rubble and clear the rubble and find these giant treasures, diamonds, 100-carat diamonds. And uh, once you find those, it changes your whole view of that trauma. Um, An illustration I give in this chapter, a woman had this little painting above her hot plate for decades. She had a little tiny home in France, and uh, her parent, her children finally said, Mom, you got to move into an assisted living center. You know, we're worried about you. She was 90 years old, and she had lived very, very frugally because she really had nothing after her husband had died uh, decades earlier. And uh, so they went ahead and they found uh, that she brought in an auction place to get rid of all of her stuff. And they sold all of her furniture, all of her stuff for a total of $6,000. This is just a few years ago. And, um, but there was one little painting, and everything they didn't sell was going to go to the top. And the guy said, do you want, uh, what do you want us to do with this? She said, just take it to the dump. And he could tell under the grease, because it's kind of grimy, there was, uh, there was an interesting picture. He says, maybe I should get this cleaned up, have the guys look at it and come back and get it appraised. So she said, okay. Um, it sold an auction a few months later for $26.9 million. So her entire life, she had had this treasure, had no idea what it was worth. She lived as if she had no treasure at all. She could have literally provided college educations to every young person in her village. I mean, it was amazing. She was the richest person around for a very long way, but she acted like she was in poverty. Well, we have the same thing. These treasures that are hidden in our life, uh, when we see them and find them, they change everything spiritually. So that's what that this first chapter is. Let's move to topic number two. Even if you feel alone, you're not. Uh, well, uh, once again, people go through life as if they're alone. Um, you know, when, when struggles come, we usually retreat. And we'll tell people a little bit, but we won't tell them everything. Sometimes we just retreat into solace and, and depression. You know, antidepressants today are outselling every other medication. And uh, the thing is, when we realize that God uh, loves us to the point to where he wants an intimate relationship. So we start in chapter 2 by showing you how he wants that relationship and the things you can begin to do. Uh, to move into intimacy. It's not just enough to know about the Lord. He wants you to know him. In fact, Jesus defined eternal life in John chapter 3. It's the only place 
or John 17, 3. It's the only place where eternal life is defined in the Bible. And he said, and this is eternal life, that they, and in the Greek, that they might intimately know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so the whole book, Joseph had an intimacy with God. Even though he was alone, he was a slave, he was a prisoner, and yet his intimacy with God never left him. And that's, but he never told us how we could have it. Jesus did. So that's really a focus of the book. Stephen Scott is with us. We're talking about his book, The Joseph Principles. Uh, you call chapter three the big flip, Stephen. Uh, what is that about? Well, uh, Joseph, of course, was sold into slavery by his brothers, and they thought they had done the worst thing in the world. And when he finally meets up with them, they think that he's going to have their heads chopped off. And they are panicked and they are fearful once they realize that this guy they're talking to in Egypt uh, was their long-lost brother. And instead, he said, don't worry about anything. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good and has saved two nations. The two nations might be saved. And we don't see the mighty hand of God oftentimes, even though it's working. And so what happens is something evil or terrible happens to us, and we don't excuse the evil. We're not saying his brothers were okay in doing this. They were wrong for what they did. But God flips it, and all of a sudden, we see that the very things that we thought were our downfall, that God flips it. Now, that does two things. Number one, it makes us glorify God. But the other thing is, when we are in the middle of a tragedy— we can realize God is not finished with me yet, and God is not finished um, using me just because somebody— I've had people embezzle lifetime savings from me at different times. I've had a lot of bad things happen to me, but God never loses. He's always flipped it. And in the book, we give some examples of this, and uh, to show people you don't have to be discouraged when you're going through trials. In fact, trials have a purpose. They build these diamonds we're talking about that can't be created any other way in our life. Stephen, explain to us uh, uh, turning off the power of your worries, fears, sorrows, and regrets. Uh, that's uh, topic four. Yes, that's probably the turning point of most people's lives. And I've shared this stuff and when I've taught in churches and, and preached, and it's the one thing that people come back, literally, they'll, I'll do it in the morning service, they'll come back at night and they'll say, this changes everything, and it does. Anytime uh, God has designed us to live in the moment we're in. Right now, Pat, you and I are present, 100% present in this interview, but Jesus Christ is with us. He said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I'll be in their midst. So he's in our midst right now. But we can miss that when our mind drifts into the future or the past. And we know um, from huge numbers of surveys, hundreds of thousands, the average person spends 50% of their waking moments dwelling either in the future or the past. The future might be what's for lunch. Uh, is my wife going to be mad at me when I get home tonight? Uh, is my husband going to come home happier or angry. Uh, that's the future. The past can be, uh, I can't believe what that driver did to me on my way into work. 
See, anytime my mind is in the past or the future, it's not in the present moment. And Jesus tells us he wants us to be in the present moment with God and the people around us. And so we show you the red flags that show you you're not in the moment. Worry, anxiety, fear, uh, stress, says my mind is in the future, because all of that comes when we're thinking of the future. And uh, sorrow, regret, anger, resentment, bitterness, all of those come when our mind is in the past. So we see the red flags on where we are. And then Jesus gave us three incredible reset buttons that we can push those buttons. And in an instant, in a moment, literally that fast, we're back in the present. And God dwells in the present. He doesn't dwell in the future or the past. He says that he is the I am that I am. He's not the Miracles happen in the moment. In my life, I've seen thousands of miracles since I left atheism 58 years ago, all at the hand of Christ. And people miss these miracles because their mind is not in the moment. So we show them in this chapter, it's probably the most transformational chapter in the book, how they can begin to experience all that God is and wants in the moment they're in, and how they can end up blessing people around them when they come into the moment. Stephen, so that's that chapter. tell us about hearing Jesus whispers every day. What's that about? Okay. That's about, see, he made 1,900 statements in the Gospels. People know more of the Psalms and Proverbs, more of the writings of Paul, than they do the teachings of Christ and the words of Christ. Christ made 21 promises about his spoken words that were recorded in the Gospels that he didn't make about the rest of the Scripture. For example, he said, my words are spirit, and they are life. Uh, All words give us information, some faulty information, some good information. Christ's words actually have the power to infuse his spirit and his life into our spirit life. And as I see Christians today, most of them that I meet, even Christian leaders, They may have a lot of things, but what they really need is the spirit and life of Jesus. When Christ's spirit is infused into your spirit, uh, dark days become bright real quick, and it changes everything. So we show you how through beginning to focus and meditate, prayerfully think about uh, what the statements Jesus made, and we show you how to do that, then he said what is what I proclaim in the daylight, what is whispered in your ear, shout from the rooftops. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John uh, 14, 26, he will teach you all things and bring to your memory whatsoever things I have said unto you. So by meditating on the words of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit performs that ministry of whispering just the precise words we need to hear in the moment we're in. And I've heard his whispers now. I, I only discovered this skill set about 2006. Stephen Scott, our guest, uh, we're talking about his book, The Joseph Principles. When we return, uh, we're going to dive into the chapter called God's Love Language. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And you're tuned in here to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. 
More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Stephen Scott is our guest, and we're talking about his book, The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living. And as I mentioned, Stephen, uh, topic number six, God's Love Language. Uh, what does that mean? What's that about? Okay. Remember, God's goal for you, he said in Jeremiah 9.24, that him of glory is glory in this, that he understands, and in the Hebrew, intimately knows me, the Lord God. So his goal for you and me, Pat, and anybody listening, is that we move into this glorious intimacy with him. Well, Gary Chapman wrote a book many years ago, and many of your listeners have read it, Love Languages. We all have a love language that when somebody expresses their love for us with our love language instead of theirs, we experience a much uh, greater response and appreciation and gratefulness for that. And um, and so it's changed. It's a book that has just changed so many lives and so many relationships. And God, like us, like my love language is words of affirmation. So you could give me a Rolex watch and... Uh, Somebody else could come up and say, Steve, you know what? I really appreciated what you taught today. That really impacted my my vision for what I should do. Well, guess what? That will mean more to me, even though you might love me more and try to show it with a Rolex watch, than the Rolex watch will, because words of affirmation are what really impact me. And well, God has a love language, it's not worship or praise. He delights in the praises of his people. He inhabits them. But Jesus, at the Last Supper, revealed to his disciples his and the Father's love language. And when we love God using the love language Jesus revealed in John 14, 21 through 24, uh, then here's what Jesus promised. He said, my Father will love you. I, too, will love you, and I will manifest myself, show myself, reveal myself to you. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how are you going to reveal yourself to us? What about the world? Jesus said, anyone. And then he tells us what to do. My Father will love him, and we will come to him. And in the Greek, it's make our continual dwelling place with him. So that's intimacy. Christ revealing his mind and heart, the Father revealing his mind and heart, and we are loving them using this love language. And simply stated, it's hearing what Jesus said, and by faith empowered by grace, doing what he said. It is so simple. I teach my children this. I teach my grandchildren this, Pat. Anybody can learn how to love God the way God wants to be loved. And the good news for men it's not emotional. It, it doesn't require me to crank up the emotions like the woman next to me in the, um, in the pew may crank out her emotions. But what it does, it gives me the specific way that anybody can do. For example, Jesus said, um, he said, pray for those who abuse you. Now, that doesn't mean be reconciled to them. Pray for them. Anybody, we can pray for anybody. We can pray for our enemies. See, a simple step. But when I do what Jesus said, 
that is God's love language. And that's revealed in John 14, 20, 21 through 24. Jesus had to tell his disciples this because he's about to leave them. And they don't know how they're going to fellowship with him once he's gone. Well, this is how they were to move into intimacy with him and the Father once he had left. And it, it applies to any of us. And it changes, it truly changes how we go through our days and nights. Stephen Scott is with us. His book is called The Joseph Principles. Uh, topic seven, Stephen, miracles every day. God makes the deposits. You write the checks. Uh, tell us more. Okay. How do we grow our faith? I know so many believers who said, oh, I just wish I had more faith. Well, stop wishing. Jesus tells us how the Father makes deposits, and we can walk and live by faith. What are the deposits? The recorded words of Jesus Christ that apply to the situation we're in. So we show specifically how anyone in a day, you don't have to wait a year for this to happen. Um, It can happen in the day you're in right now. You can start to grow your faith by getting to know these teachings of Christ. I spent two years organizing the 1900 Statements of Christ uh, many years ago. That came out in a book that was released uh, in 2008 called The Greatest Words Ever Spoken. And as you you, um, hear and see those words, they are the basis. For example, 80 conditional promises. You do this, I'll do that. You do this, the Father will do that. You do this, the Holy Spirit will do that. 80 promises. And we can bring those into our life at any moment that we're in, but people don't do it because they don't know them. And we step out on those promises, and our faith grows. That's what Paul said. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And so we need to, to grow our faith instantly. I mean, literally start growing it tonight, today. We need to begin to look at what Jesus said and step out by faith to do. That's why, that's why he, uh, at, at the Transfiguration, the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. That's, I mean, and the disciples never forgot it. And, uh, but we did. We stopped listening to Christ, and unfortunately, most people very early in their uh, Christian walk. Now, Stephen, explain to us this topic, how to forgive even when you don't feel like it. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? It just uh, broke top, topic number eight, how to forgive even when you don't oh. feel like it. Oh, thank you. Forgiveness, C.S. Lewis said, Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And people uh, have wrong concepts of forgiveness. They think, well, I'm not emotionally able to forgive. They don't feel like it. Well, forgiveness isn't something we do because we feel like it. It's something we do because God's forgiven us. And it's the only way we can honor God's sacrifice of his son is when we forgive. When we don't forgive, we're saying, God... I know you've forgiven me, thanks, but uh, I can't forgive this person. Well, we show what forgiveness is. It's not reconciliation. It is release. Literally, the word means to untie, release, and release. It 
became uh, synonymous with granting a pardon. So I grant a pardon to that person for their obligation that they have to heal that debt with me. I, I, I set them free. But when I set them free, I get free. So we show people practically how they can begin to forgive like they never forgiven before. And that opens up their intimacy with God. Once again, it, it clears away rubble when we forgive. Uh, but people too often think, I got to feel like it, and I don't feel like it, or they think, oh, I can't reconcile with that person. They beat the crap out of me. So what you do is you don't reconcile. Reconciliation isn't always the answer, but forgiveness, releasing, is always the answer for the believer. So we show how to do that, and all of everything in the Joseph Principles are based on the teachings of Christ. There's over 100 statements of Christ in the book that we base all these teachings on. Now, Stephen, we've got one minute left, and I want you to tell us about the birth of your visions. Okay. Uh, I flunked out of nine jobs in my first six years after college and then built from scratch with a $5,000 partner, uh, businesses that did billions and billions and billions of dollars in sales. And it's all through a process called vision mapping. And Joseph would not just the mystical visions, Joseph would get a vision on what needed to be done. And you can apply this to your marriage. You can apply it to a sport. My son uh, won the national championship in high jump because he had a coach who vision mapped. And so we show you how to bring this in, how to take anything you have to achieve and turn it into a Google map. So that's what that one's all about. Uh, folks, our guest has been Stephen Scott, the book, The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living. Go get yourself a copy. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Folks, thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've had a good hour. Debbie Turner Bell, our guest in that first segment. Talking about her book, Courageous Faith, A Lifelong Pursuit of Faith Over Fear. And then Stephen Scott uh, joined us out on the West Coast. Talked about his book, The Joseph Principles. Turning adversity and heartache into miraculous living. Folks, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. We're ready. We're a big market. Ready to become a big league baseball city. And you can be a big help. Go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com. OrlandoDreamers.com. And just just check in with us. Let us hear from you. Uh, share your thoughts with us. So we're eager to uh, get this community ready to roll when the time comes. We'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a wonderful week ahead. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.